Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and a very warm welcome to the Crash MotoGP podcast, episode 28 with myself, Harry Benjamin, Pete McLaren, and of course, Keith Hewin on the show today. Uh, more champions crowned, uh, but a slightly below par MotoGP race, notably lacking uh, a Mark Marquez after he was ruled out of this weekend due to a concussion sustained during a crash in training. Uh, we'll be digesting all the action as ever, answering your questions and looking ahead to the final race next weekend in Valencia. Uh, let's start, though, guys, with uh, the most exciting action, I think it's fair to say, which was in Moto3, uh, where the battle between title contenders uh, Pedro Acosta and Dennis Foggia was intense all the way up till the final lap. It really could have gone down to the final race. However, Foggia was taken out by Darren Binder and that all but secured the Moto3 title for Pedro Acosta, who rode a sterling race nonetheless. Keith, what did you make of uh, the Moto3 action this weekend? Well, it's always the best one of the weekend generally, isn't it, the Moto3? But I mean, this weekend was the big showdown. It was whether Acosta could come back under the pressure that Fajir had been putting him under for the last, I don't know how long. Um, Dennis Fodger rode, you know, like he should do. There's several things I still don't get is how those Leopard bikes are so much faster than everything else out in the racetrack. I don't get that, but I know they're legal because everybody's been on about it for years now. They just do a fantastic job back in, in back in their own garage and, and they get those Leopard Hondas so, so very well. Um, anyway, getting a, moving to, away from that because it's always slightly controversial because I never know how they get them so fast. Nobody in the paddock knows how they get them to be that much better than every other bike out there. But it was plain to see in, in, in quite clearly this weekend again. Fodger, very, very unlucky. Um, Darren Binder came in hot right at the very end of the race, uh, took him out and Garcia out as well. Now, it's always difficult when you're, when you're watching a race and you're commentating on a race, you make a fairly snap decision on a, on a, on seeing it just once quite often when you're commentating or if you're a pundit back in pit lane or whatever it might be, you've seen it on a tiny little monitor and you're having a look at it. When you look at it quite closely, I, I had actually a half an hour that I could wind it back and have a couple of goes at it today, just on my own TV at home, obviously. And it looked to me like Foggia just got out the throttle, just had to roll out the throttle very slightly to check himself up. And the fact that Binder was coming in so hot as well, the two things met them. Well, Binder was by far and away in the wrong. He torpedoed him at the end of the day. But there was just a little tiny bit of consequence that also had them coming together at the at the rate that they did come together, I feel, by looking at it again. It just looked like, you know, Fodger just had to check up a little bit into that turn and, and Binder coming in. The fact that Binder's got reputation for it, the fact that he got disqualified instantaneously, virtually, you know, virtually, it's very rare that you get someone disqualified from the race bang, right there and then. You know, it was, it was pretty soon after the, the incident that um, he got booted out of the results. And he deserved it. I mean, Darren has got a name for for that, for that kind of rubbing. The amount of times, if we had a pound for every time that Darren has been, you know, Dive Bomb Binder, that's his name, Basher Binder. You know, he's got all those... God knows what that's going to translate like when he gets into MotoGP next year. I mean, honestly, the, the, you know, he's going to get it paid back to him in with interest. Um, when they start, you know, cutting each other up next next time out, I, I, I think he's going to find it difficult. It'd be interesting to see how how it works out for him in the first few Grand Prix of next year. Whether he can tone it down or not, whether that that extra winter 
You know, he just seems to have that kind of rush of blood to the head that his brother doesn't quite have. His brother is aggressive. You know, Brad is an aggressive rider and will take every possible chance that there's one there. But Darren just seems to put his toe over the line every single time. And really, I mean, he was lucky that, you know, Dennis is not the kind of guy, he's not, shall we say, a wallflower when it comes. And when Binder walked down to his pit, into his garage, I thought, shit, that is going to turn out bad. Um, as it happens, the whole of the Leopard team sort of gathered around in the front. The camera went away, but what we didn't see was Foggia went to the front of the garage and looked like there was going to be some confrontation there as well. So it could have turned out quite uh, interesting because you can be fairly sure, you know, both those boys are fairly well pumped up. So it would have been quite an interesting, maybe that's pay-per-view, isn't it? That kind of thing. We can have a pay-per-view, <laughs> put them both in the uh, crash.net ring and uh, see who comes out best. Um, but either way, I mean... Uh, you know, one of the the BT Sport pundits, the the man himself, Michael Laverty, um, said that he ought to get a, a ban for Valencia as well. Well, I'm not against that in this circumstance. I'm really not. It's time that Darren Binder didn't keep making the kind of mistakes that involve other people. And, it, and there's been a few of them. There's a problem is, doesn't matter how long ago it was that he did the last one, you'll always remember it like it was yesterday. So he's got this cumulative effect of everybody you know, rating him as a, as, a, as a bit of a danger out on the racetrack. Remember Fanati. You know, Fanati had to have some enforced time off before people started to relax. Fanati was called, you know, he sh- I remember one thing on Twitter with somebody saying that Fanati should be done for attempted murder. <laughs> God. <laughs> when, when he grabbed the, you know, the front brake, you know, of a rival, he, you know, there, there was such extremes. And I, I get the feeling that after this one, I, I mean, I haven't actually even looked at Twitter or social media, but there'll be a... It will be fairly inflamed, I think we can be sure. Well, I mean, there were a lot of questions and statements that came in when we put it out on, on the Crashnet socials. And I mean, I could pick any of them, but most of them, and Michael's is the first one that pops up, is simply, is Darren Binder ready to ride a MotoGP bike next season? Well, yeah, he's a motorbike racer. I think he's ready to ride it. I mean, you could say the same thing. Is he ready to be out in a Moto3 race, really, couldn't you? It's, right. not, it's, not, it's not down to the, the motorcycle or the class. It's down to the mentality at the moment. And that's the bit that he just seems to have this tiny flaw. He's, he's undoubtedly fast. And he, I love him. I think he's spectacular. And if he could just tone that bit back where he just manages to trip himself up or somebody very close to him, I don't know. I mean... The thing I think that's unforgivable is he knew this was a championship race. He knew this was a championship situation between Dennis Foggia and Acosta. You know, it was. It's, it's not that. It's not that that wasn't clear. And to take one of them out to to make that impetuous move, he came in so hot. It was like a missile. You know, Garcia was coming across. You know, Fajira was, like I say, I think just rolled a little tiny bit out of the throttle at that point for whatever reason. And so the coming together was pretty inevitable in that situation. There's no way out. He's got one on the outside of him. So he's either going to take Garcia or he's going to try and get to the inside as he did. And and in the end, he lost it and took out, you know, smacked into the back mm. of Dennis. So, I mean, I think it's it's not the class, it's the mentality. Yeah, well, um, Leopard Racing were, were pretty damning of Darren Binder on social media. They released a statement which says, we didn't want Darren Binder's presence at the box because it is obvious that after deciding Dennis Foggia's chances in the fight for the championship, it should be reasonable to think that the moment wasn't the right one. Darren Binder has thrown away all the effort and hard work of our team this year. It wasn't just a race incident. Thanks for understanding it. The most important thing is that Dennis is fine after the crash, which is the main thing. But you can see them, as you could see on the TV screens, wherever you watching around the world they were not happy where they peaked what did you make of the fallout from the moto 3 action because up until that point it was a really really good race you couldn't call it at all you couldn't and you know acosta was back to the acosta of the start this season wasn't he He was looking fast and confident and cool-headed there was that one moment where he sort of looked over his shoulder i don't know whether he missed a gear or something and a few people went by but other than that it was well this is this is the guy that we we expected him to be throughout the year and and went away for six races um but yeah he was looking great there'd been that 
that little cheeky mind games thing in warm up where he'd given the wave to uh, to Foggia and yeah tapped his tapped his rear wheel at the practice start. So you knew it was you know it was all sort of set up for a big head to head between them. And uh, yeah, we were just denied. It, it came to an end one lap early, didn't it? It would have been great, and it was a shame for Acosta as well because it took away a bit from his celebrations, didn't it? Because everyone was sort of caught up in what what had just gone wrong with uh, Binder and uh, and Foggia when. Uh, but having said that, you can see for the relief on Acosta's face. I mean, for what he's been through, he was just happy to get it over the line, wasn't he? And uh, yeah, I think uh, <laughs> it would have. Been, let's face it, if if he had lost the title this year, having had such an advantage and been so strong at the start of the year, it would have been a really, really big sort of setback for him. So you know, he he's done the job now. This is his only season in Moto Three. He's off to Moto Two next year. Foggy is staying, and we'll try again. So yeah, let's see what happens. But as far as the uh, you know the fallout, I, of course. Whenever something like this happens, you get the super license question, don't you? Should uh, you know? Should there be a super license to get into MotoGP? Uh, is Binder ready? Most, most I mean, Pekka Banyaya kind of did support it, but I think most MotoGP riders, it's it's too difficult to put numbers on these things of when a rider is ready to come into MotoGP, and it's it's more rider by rider seem to be the general impression. Uh, Jack Miller was quite strong in defending Darren Binder. He was saying, "Well, look, we all make mistakes." He said to Juan Mir, you know, how many times have we bumped into each other this year? Um, so he, he didn't think it's obviously the Dennis Onchu incident that we've had recently and, and the two race ban talking about the punishment that Keith brought up and Michael Laverty's view. You know, that's obviously fresh in our minds. And so you you compare things to that. And, you know, this was seen more. I think it was a, it was a racing mistake, if that makes sense. But as you're saying, it puts Darren under so much pressure. Mir said, you know, he's under pressure already because he, he's trying to justify this big jump to MotoGP next year. He's only had two podiums, both in Qatar. He hasn't been on the podium since. There he was going for the podium, you know, thinking I'm going to get this result that's going to help take some of this pressure off my shoulders. And, you know, as he said, he just suddenly he saw uh, Foggia in front of him. It's so, how you handle pressure. It's how yeah, you handle pressure. And now and it's, it's getting even greater, isn't it? looking for. You can, you can move forward a class to Moto2 and see the way that Remy Gardner and Rayo Fernandez handled pressure. That's how you handle pressure. You know, like Remy Gardner is in a situation where the end of his season wasn't looking quite as bright with Rail Fernandez stealing the, the momentum all the way through. And how did, you know, Remy handle it in the way that you should handle it? You know, trying to grab, in today's racing, trying to grab those last few inches into a corner is virtually impossible. There's nobody giving anything away. You know, you're, you're lining yourself up all the time, just trying to find where you can pinch an inch or a few millimetres if you're a metric. It's one of them situations where Binder was... A little over the top. It's it's more frustration, I think, that trying to get to the front. He's he's not able to kind of wait. I used the Fanati kind of analogy a bit earlier on, or the example a bit earlier on, because Fanati was another one of those guys, mega talented, but couldn't wait. You know, he was pushing and shoving to try and move himself into position. I don't know where it leaves Darren. Um, not a popular man around the paddock, I would suggest, and. You know he's going to he's going to have to learn a lesson when he gets into MotoGP. I mean he's going to have a winter off. He'll reset. He'll be a few months older by the time he comes back into to what he's got to do next year. And the team around him will be trying to keep him under control a little bit as well. There'll, you know, there'll be a fair bit of whip cracking going on. And I dare say his brother. I mean I'd like to be you know when the old brothers sit down for dinner. You know when they. It must be a very interesting conversation. Like, hang on, bro. What the. What are you doing? <laughs> well, well, actually, Keith. So it turns out, you know, Petrucci got got taken out on the first lap. It was Again? by a fact. It was by a factory KTM rider, oh. and we don't know exactly which one, but it could be that that uh, both Brinder brothers were a little bit naughty. On well, the they're a tough couple of guys. There's no doubt about it. I mean, there's no messing about. They've come up the hard way, and they're 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 fighting for position. Um, Brad must be frustrated at the moment because it hasn't gone. The, you know, KTM have sort of their development slowed down their whole progress has slowed down as well so there'll be a fair bit of frustration at this time of the year but taking out a title contender when he's fighting for the title on the you know coming to the last lap nah he ain't gonna find any forgiveness in the paddock for that i'm absolutely sure i mean you can go back to any championship you like i mean there was discussion at the beginning um down on the grid about who had canvassed other riders as to whether they were going to be forceful or you know you know give us a bit of room if i need a bit of room rah rah and we've all done it, even in British Championship stuff. I remember those conversations you would have behind the garages, you know, are you with me or against me kind of thing. You you would you would have that conversation because it's prudent to do that. Um, 
you know, and you would know anyway who are the, the, the type of rider. By the time we get to this time of the year, you know the guys that are not going to give way. You know the guys that are going to fight. Jaume Messia, he's supposed to be a bloody teammate at the end of the day. Um, as it turned out, I think more by luck than uh, than anything else, when he forced his way to the front, he forced his way past the Costa, forced his way past Fajir, and he, and he kind of, it really mucked up Dennis's race at, at that point and gave Acosta the opportunity out front. So it looked like Jaume Messia assisted his teammate. I don't believe it. <laughs> well, that was my next point. Where there's a lot of questions coming in. Was Jaume Messia playing the team game or not? No, one no could really well, I mean, I, I genuinely don't think he was. But Akiayo, I mean, Akiayo is not a man that gives away a lot anyway, but he's also a man that, that is quite a tough cookie. And bearing in mind that Messia, is Messia still there? He's there again next year, isn't he, at uh, Io? Yeah, he's staying there, think. right? Yeah. Yeah, I think he's. I think he's still with Io next year, and Io is not a man to be messed with. I mean, either as a team owner or or as a manager. Uh, bearing in mind, he manages quite a lot of riders in the paddock as well, personally. So, um, I don't know. I mean, they must have had the conversation. They will have had the conversation. There's no doubt in my mind about that. But it didn't look from where I was sat like Messiah was giving an inch anywhere. <laughs> That's for sure. But in the it end, it kind of fell right, and and it looked like he did help him only by the fact that he tripped up Foggia at the same time so anyway it, it reminded helping. me of do you remember Gabal Talmashi and Mika Kalio Red Bull KTMs and Kalio was fighting and all oh, this team orders and then Talmashi just overtook him and won the race so there was just this shock on all of the team so you could bet they would you know that after that I think they were crystal clear with their riders about you know you're riding for the team not just Akiyo as well the whole of KTM, obviously, it's it's a big thing for them to to win this championship. So yeah, they would have known, but it, yeah, it certainly didn't look like uh, at that stage of the race anyway. But maybe they said, you know, you go away and win the race or something. We don't know exactly what, what team orders. Happened. Team orders are a funny thing, aren't they? Because they're not popular, you know, quite rightly from the public point of view. They never have been, whether you're in Formula One or across in MotoGP. You know, go back to the Eddie Lawson, Kenny Roberts days. I mean, anyone that's old enough or long enough in the tooth to remember that particular year when Freddie Spencer beat. Kenny Roberts by just a few points at the end of the year. Now, if Lawson had given way in, I think it was Rijeka, which was then the Yugoslavian Grand Prix. That's how long we're talking back. You won't even be alive by this time, I think, Harry. <laughs> um, but the Yugoslavian Grand Prix, a track called Rijeka down near Opatia, a beautiful bloody area, beautiful place. I could go on for hours about it. But anyway, at the time, Lawson beat, I'm fairly sure Lawson beat Roberts when he probably shouldn't have. And by the end of the year... Lawson wasn't fast enough to assist Roberts in the quest against Freddie Spencer. By then, Spencer and Roberts were both at it, hammer and tong. And at the end of the year, it cost Kenny the championship. Did it cost Kenny the championship? Should he have been assisted by his teammate? Did they talk to him about it? I've never really got to the bottom of that that particular year. But if I'd have been the team manager, I'd have been <laughs> bloody annoyed at Eddie Lawson for beating Roberts, who was the only man that was in a, with a chance of winning the championship by then. But there you go. Well, those stories can be told time and time again, can't they? But at the end of all of that and this weekend, well, I suppose the, Pedro Costa did win the race. And then it was actually Andrea Minu and Nicola, uh, Nicolo Antonelli who rounded out the podium at the end of all of it. But it was Pedro Costa who did secure uh, the Moto3 World Championship. The 17-year-old does so and he does move up to Moto2 uh, next season. So very impressive. Uh, and you have to say, when you look at the season as a whole, very well deserved, isn't it, from, from, from Acosta? He's ridden brilliantly. I mean, he's racecraft and he, he, he's, he's got something very special about him. And I think that, you know, having the, the great Casey Stoner, who I've been a, a, a living, breathing advocate of since the first time I met Casey Stoner, um, to hear Casey Stoner, you know, give Acosta some accolades. You, you know, Stoner knows what he's on about. He's still as sharp as a knife when it comes to opinion and his, his perspective is so brilliantly sharp as well. Um, he is a special kid. He, not okay. He wins races, yeah. We've seen that before. Okay, he's 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 quite aggressive, yeah. We've seen that before as well. But he's uh, he's got that magical racecraft that you just in seventeen in a seventeen-year-old rookie, you know, you just think to yourself, wow. I mean, the only he will have been what was he one day older than the youngest ever winner championship winner? I mean, what was that? Caparossi was it? I think he was mm. one day older than Caparossi for winning the the title, something along those lines. Anyway. And in comp in competition, which, if, uh, without being rude, probably is more uh, fraught and in depth now than it was back in the in the in that particular era. Certainly, because the motorbikes are so much closer in performance nowadays in the in the lightweight classes. But I think Acosta is 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 just hot property. 
And again, Akiyo he's positioned himself and he's positioned Acosta well in the team, hasn't he? I mean, Io is all over it. He's got his fingers all over the whole the whole deal. I love all that. That shenanigans that goes on behind the trucks in the paddock. Honestly, if you've never been to a race meet, it's quite all you need to do is take up a position somewhere in the back of the paddock, if you have time. I mean, I know you journos Pete don't. You're running around up and down like lunatics trying to get everything going on. Um, but I've the times I've sat on the Urta deck, on the International Race Teams Association deck. There's like a, a little table and chairs out there for the very privileged few. Walk in, say hi to Mike Trimby and the team and uh, get me a cup of tea and go and sit out the front and just watch everything. all the management walking up and down pit lane. At, at sort of Usually now, it's a bit earlier in the year. It used to be at the end of the year. Um, you'd see it all about now. You'd, you'd see everybody running around. But in the last sort of, I don't know, seven, eight years, it's been like constant. And from the very, very early part of the year, management are at it. And they gather in little groups it's like being at a shopping center you know you see lots of gossiping people underneath the stairs they're always stood in certain places aren't they, strategically <laughs> and you know when a deal's really being done because they, they're kind of embarrassed when you bump into them when you walk, run around the corner and there they are and all of a sudden, you know they even cover their mouths now so you can't lip read not that i can but there are obviously people that do and there are people that you know when they're being filmed you'll see it quite often in the back of garages you know where people cover their mouths so you can't lip read what's being said well, the beauty of masks now, it really helps them, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you can say anything now and get away with it. <laughs> well, one day, well, maybe we should reserve three seats and uh, do a live podcast from there and say what we see uh, one day. I think that would be a, a juicy uh, episode. But, I'm down for that. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Let's make that happen next season. We'll spend the, we'll organise it in the off season. Um, well, that so that was uh, the Moto3 action anyway. So a huge congratulations, obviously, to Pedro Acosta um, and a, a massive well done to him. There were just a couple of questions off the back of that uh for instance anish has asked actually um is finishing second and third in moto three not enough for foggia and garcia to earn a ride in moto two or are there other incentives for them to stay another year cool now you're on the, the you're, you're on the proper slippery slope now aren't you with this <laughs> there's bonuses there's there's in, of course i mean like it's not so much i suppose about the incentive i mean we all know the talent it could have been foggia who won the championship this year it was a costa in the end. I mean, it was it was that close, wasn't it? I mean, it, there was a little bit of luck here and there. And, you know, Foggia had a beautiful second after the season. Acosta had a brilliant start to it as a rookie. Um, and it's all come together. I'm actually, I mean, I still have no understanding why we end our season at Valencia. Horrible little Mickey Mouse cart track. Great from a spectator's point of view. But it's going to be freezing bloody cold there. It's probably going to be raining. You do not want to go to that track with a championship at stake. As it happens, they're not going to have to. Um, and as it happens, Acosta is going to be pretty sharp around there anyway. So it, it, it would have been quite a, quite a tough one anyhow for, for Foggia. But the point being is, is that you get to the end of the season, go to Valencia and everything is on the, you know, the times we've seen it. And the, the tiniest of mistakes at Valencia, you pay, you know, bag loads for. But getting back to what you're saying, the, the incentive, the money, um, there's big money, of course, in bonuses, you know, from your your leathers manufacturer, your helmet, your boots, whatever whatever the situation is, there's bonuses from the team, there's bonuses from side sponsors and the like as well. So financially, you want to be, you know, second rather than third, third rather than fourth, because fourth is like dropping off the edge of a cliff when it comes to, to, to payments. Um, but, you know, Acosta at the moment is going to be a, a wealthy young man and is, is well on the way. Incentives for moving up to Moto2, there's not the space. You know, pretty much that deal is done. It's a team situation. The teams have already done the deal with Erta, who have done the deal with Dorna, for the slots on the track. So the 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 actual team slots are already done. That deal was done, you know, last year, middle of. Um, then comes the rider contracts, the rider. And again, it's the Yaki Ios of this world that sort of juggle these people around, isn't it? He, he, like I said a minute ago, he got Acosta really in a great position. Um, and we've got the Fernandezes at the moment that, that you know, Rail Fernandez, I think um, there's been a little bit of family um, jiggery pokery there as well with the other Fernandez, isn't there? That, that they've kind of signed him up as well to keep Rail happy. You know, it's, it's, there's a lot more to it than meets the eye, believe yeah. me. And it's all going on behind the trucks in the paddock. 
And that's why you want to get that seat right outside Erta, and then you can see it all unfold. Um, thank you for all the questions coming in. Let's uh, switch up and, and go to MotoGP now, um, where it was in the end. Uh, Francesco Bagnaia, who took another win, uh, really coming on strong towards the end of this season, ahead of Mir and Miller, uh, who managed to get on the podium. Of course, no Mark Marquez means all of our predictions went straight out the window. Um, so, unfortunately, he has sustained uh, an injury due to concussion uh, and is recovering uh, I suspect Honda would very much uh, focus on him being there for the final race and in particular for the Valencia testing uh, as well um, but obviously no Mark, Mark, Mark Marquez uh, did that was that a miss was that an opportunity for Banyaya really to, to get that win do you think he would have been really challenged by Marquez if Marquez had been there this weekend well because the Honda speculation again isn't it yeah I'd, I'd say no I'd say I'd say Bangnaia in the form that he's in at the moment. I think Marquez would have been hard pressed to get near him, let alone with a bang on the head. Um, you know, I think the thing with Marquez again, it comes into that situation where you know he's a little bit more fragile than he, he was before. I mean, if he's you know motocrossing as well. I mean, I was told it was more of an enduro type accident, not a motocross one as such. But I often wonder why these guys take on massive, great triple jumps and, mm. and the like on motocross bikes. Yeah, I remember Danny Pedrosa. I know Danny was fragile anyway. I mean, if Danny crashed, he would always break something. So he used to do motocrossing, but without the jumps. So it was more of a, you know, flat track type thing on a motocross bike. And there was a, I think Zarco was a bit that way inclined as well. I don't think Zarco saw the sense in, you know, jumping 30 foot in the air on a motocross bike because the, the possibilities of something that can go wrong are huge. But then when you know what talent that, you know, half of the reason why Mark Marquez is as good as he is is because he pushes himself on every motorbike he's on to the absolute nth degree. And, you know, motocross for him is a training tool. It's not, it's fun as well, but it's a, it is a proper training tool. He wouldn't save, he wouldn't save 90% of the crashes that he nearly has had if it hadn't been for the fact that he, he pushed himself as hard as he does on slippery off-road stuff. And, but a head injury, again, another one where he's banged himself on the head. All of this is cumulative. You know, these injuries are cumulative. In the end, they will have an effect on his performance. Whether it be a mental or a physical effect, we can only find out. Um, and again, the fact that he's been laid out of this one and Valencia because of it, you, know, you can talk it down if you like, but I won't. I think, it's a, I think if you've banged your head hard enough to have had a concussion that's taken you out of two races, that was a serious injury that I considered to be a serious injury. And, you know, he's had to take time off again. They want him for testing. I mean, that's, they want him right for testing, don't they? I mean, they put all their eggs in the 2022 basket. I mean, it, you know, the, the speculation over what Honda have got coming for next year is quite exciting, really, uh, to see what, what we might be seeing from Ducati and Honda and, and the rest. It's just... Oh, and the other thing, did you? I mean, you you would have picked up on this, Pete. I know you will have done. Sorry, I talk a lot, don't I? Bloody hell. <laughs> <laughs> Pete, you'd have picked up on this massively that uh, Sylvain Gantoli uh, said that uh, Brivio is 90% sure for coming back. I, so, I did hear um, that. Yeah, he, yeah, he said he. he, he oh, oh uh, coming back to MotoGP? He, he said it live yeah. on the coverage 90% sure did. that Brivio would be coming back to, uh, to MotoGP. Ah, okay, right. So, yeah, so the rumours were, were true then, yeah. We're yeah. bang on. And I think that's, you know, like that, that, that's, that's a develop. Okay, it's not a mechanical or, or an aero or an electronic development, but it is a bloody major development because Suzuki just haven't quite seemed, I know they've got great talent there and I don't want to disrespect them at all because they're a brilliant team. But when you take one key operator out in the middle of that, that coordinator, that person that just brings all the strings together, like Brivio was brilliantly able to do, Without even seeming like he did, you know, but we only noticed how good he was when he weren't there. <laughs> well, it will uh, it will certainly be a huge boost to the Suzuki team for them next season. Of course, you're there with that second. But just while we were talking about Mark, let's switch to his brother, Alex. Best race of the season. And from what looked like a pretty sorry state in Honda, he managed to drag that up to fourth, a battle with uh, Miller for that final podium spot. What a uh, a result that Marquez needed desperately towards the end of this season. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, there was a, a slight joke going around that maybe he's um, jumped on Mark's bike for the weekend, <laughs> which of course he hasn't because <laughs> he can't. But but yeah, I mean, it's a great time of the season to 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 show the talent that you've had. And, you know, he has been a world champion before. 
twice. Um, he knows how to ride a motorbike. The Honda is not the easiest motorbike out there, mind you. <laughs> right now, the Honda's seeming like a better motorbike than the Yamaha. I can't believe it that the, the Yamaha are having such a load, apart from Quattararo, are having such a lot of aggravation with the things. I mean, where Dovi and Valentino are, the two old boys on the field, they're, they're struggling with it. Morbidelli is obviously still injured, and that'll be his excuse for the moment, and quite a legitimate one as well. You know, Yamaha are proper, proper all at sea. They're going to be looking forward to their testing, I'm fairly sure. Cal Crutchlow might have to come off the bench after all. Come on, Cal. <laughs> well, I mean, Pete, yeah, exactly. You know, he wins, uh, he switched to Yamaha, he wins the championship, and then he makes his first mistake of the season and crashes out Fabio Cortuaro out of the race. You know what? This all comes back to qualifying, and it just shows how vital all of these front row starts have been for Cortuaro. He said he just couldn't overtake. And it, which is what we've heard from all the other Yamahas, which, which weren't as good as him in qualifying and have been starting down the order and struggling to get through. He said he had the same pace as Pecco. He honestly thinks he could have raced with Pecco, but he was, he was a second a lot quicker, he said, than, than uh, Jorge Martin, but he couldn't get around the Ducatis. And then it was just, as you say, the mistake was just, he knew he was going a bit wide and he tried to turn in anyway and down he went. But yeah, he was, he was pretty clear that, you know, Yamaha, they need to focus on the engine because... They need more power. He said, look, the chassis we can update during the year, um, but the engine, as we've said before, is fixed at the first race. So they really need to make a big push on that because he said, if you don't qualify well, he said, bye-bye to the podium, bye-bye to the race. So, yeah, I think it's, I think it was interesting because, you know, we saw what, well, we saw him struggling so much like the other Yamahas for once. Maybe we should just um, clarify that a little bit, Pete, and, and elaborate on it, if you like. I mean, the, the point being, when you race a motorcycle, when you're going into qualifying, when you're going into a lap on your own, with MotoGP, you don't really need a slipstream. You don't really need a marker in front of you when you know where you're going and you've got your data and everything sorted. Loads of horsepower there. It's not something where you need to be jammed in behind somebody else. It helps sometimes, um, but not when you come to a, a person like Quattararo. He's got a fast lap in him. Anywhere you like, he can do a really, really fast lap. But the second you have got a motorcycle that you're chasing that just pulls away from you enough in a straight line so you can't get with it on the brakes. And the, and the double jeopardy with a Ducati is it's fast in a straight line. It's bloody stable on the brakes going into a corner. And they seem to have got it. So it turns mid-corner now as well, which, is, which really is a triple jeopardy for, for everybody. But even if you're in front of a Ducati, by the time you get to the braking area, it is alongside you or just ahead of you. And it completely mires what you can do, enter corner entry, a Ducati is there. So every lap, even if you've got by it, it mucks up your complete lap, your fast lap time. You're right, Quattararo was, was turning lap times as fast as the fastest when he had fresh air in front of him. But the second he caught the Ducati, there's a trio of Ducatis in front of him, he couldn't do anything with it. There was nothing, he couldn't get himself into a position to make that run up the inside. And despite the fact there are some passing places at Portimao, you've got to breathe in and clamp your buttocks when you're going to make that move on a MotoGP bike, that is for sure. And you know, there's a couple of places, that, you know, Turn five's one of them, you're coming down into that hairpin, but it's just got that kind of slightly flatter camber that you can find yourself in so much. And well, we saw it in the MotoGP race, you know, later on, didn't we? Ike Laquona, who, who, who we beat the drum about, who's pretty, pretty damn good, took out Miguel Oliveira. He's probably needed an armed escort to get out of the track tonight, I would think, because there's 30 odd thousand fans that are going to be, you know, got him on the, on the dartboard at the moment, throwing sharp things at him. Um, but the point being is, is that the pass looked, there or thereabouts on. It's one that had been done a thousand times, but poor old Lequona took out um, Miguel Oliveira on his home Grand Prix. Not a good thing to do. Exactly that, Keith. He, he, I spoke to Lequona afterwards and yeah, he said, you know, I, I'd made that pass on Oliveira, I think two laps before and he made it on four other riders. So, he, you know, he was confident in doing that, but he said there was a bit of a bump there and that was it. And Danny went and uh, there we go. Yeah. And that was Great what... racetrack. Great racetrack. I mean, really, really, you know, aren't we lucky in some respects regarding a pandemic? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? Phil has actually asked, why does such a great circuit produce such dull races in MotoGP, but brilliant races in things like World Superbike? Ah. Well, I think the, we, were, we were a little bit unlucky, I suppose, with, with when we got to, to this year. You know, MotoGP... Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I have a struggle with this. I mean, because, yeah, they were boring races on paper. 
but they had that kind of tension attached to them because it's the time of the year and because a mistake was going to cost more than it had ever cost at the beginning of the year. I think somehow you're still on the edge of your seat. Mm. I mean, why do so many people follow Formula One? <laughs> it's boring, you know, it's, it's a situation where, you know, some teams by the time we get to this time of the year have, have just got the edge at the moment and Ducati are on a roll. Who was it who said, was it Giabatti who said, the Paolo Giabatti at the end, I'm sure he said something along the lines that we should be like this. You know, our bikes are right. You know, we're, it's, it's, it's only really a matter of time before we're in this position. And they've, they've won the Constructors' Championship as well now, the, the, you know, because, you know, that, that finish off by Benaya has got them, you know, back-to-back Constructors' Championships. It might be that Yamaha have won the, the Riders' Championship, but, but, you know, to beat the Japanese is a big deal that's that's from a factory point of view they'll be having the champagne out for that or whatever they drink in italy for um celebration no it certainly was wasn't it pete ducati clinching that and all the ducati riders think pausing for pictures afterwards so a good coup for ducati nonetheless and jack pissed (laughs) which is absolute (laughs) tv gold and and they they've got a good chance of the team's championship as well they've got a good lead on yamaha that going in they haven't wrapped it up yet but it's looking good for them so they could walk away with two titles it's not as we say the the main one the one that everyone wants but still it's going to mean a lot to Ducati and if you're if you're someone that you mentioned Jack you know Jack maybe expected or hoped to fight more for the title this year than he has if you can still give the factory you know the, the constructors and the team championship that's going to go a long way to to giving you you know good stock going into next year should we say so so yeah it's been a great year for Ducati and um you know, they, again, so close. They're still waiting. Casey Stoner, we mentioned, they're still waiting for this title, this this next title, you know, second. I mean, he is the only winner, isn't he? It's, it's not like there's been a lot of them. So they've been waiting so long. You know, Gigi is just desperate for that rider's title. And they've come so close, haven't they? This sort of been Dovi three times runner-up. Banyaya now confirmed as runner-up this year. So you've got to believe it's not far away. I mean, and, and they should be the team to beat going into next year, depending on what all the other factories have got in the pipeline. You know, I love the fact that Casey Stoner is now revered. I said it in a in a tweet that I put out earlier on today that, you know, in the past, his, his opinion was was hated by so many people. Usually they dressed in yellow with a 46 on their breath tape. But at the end of the day, Casey Stoner is, in my lifetime, probably the best pound-for-pound motorbike racer I've ever seen on a, on a motorcycle. And winning Ducati that championship, he is obviously a bit of a god at, at Ducati. And to see him at trackside, you know, it's three and a half years since he's been in the MotoGP paddock. He's not been there for that amount of time. And again, do you know what? That man, bloody Michael Laverty, he gets everywhere because he's jacked up Casey Stoner pretty much. I mean, he's he's kind of jacked up the deal that, um, that Casey Stoner is is at the track and doing certain things. And he's he's been spotting for Magnaia. I mean, he's been out there. I mean, someone like Casey Stoner out there spotting and he's enjoyed his time there as well. To, to give you a little bit of a, a heads up on that, of course, you know, Casey Stoner was really good friends with Chaz Davis and the Davis family. Spent a lot of time with them in Wales and so on and so forth. Michael Lavett is married to uh, Chaz Davis's sister. So it's, it's kind of it's a typical situation where it's, it's fairly close-knit in our fraternities. And Mike, Michael's put together that, the, you know, Casey is going to be at Valencia as well, and he's going to be working for the, the good old TV station at BT as well. So, I mean, that's all down to bloody Michael Laverty. Does that bloke actually sleep? I don't think he does. Like Michael Lavert, he must, he must. I'm still convinced there's three of them. We used to say it about Freddie Spencer, he just unhook another one in the back of the truck and send him out to do his stuff. But I think Lavert is the same. Plug, plug Ooh. the other ones back into recharge and out the next one goes. Um, Change the chip. Yeah. <laughs> Um, on on Ducati, and obviously we saw it, it, if you were watching the uh, the English coverage, uh, Jack Miller uh, very joyful on the coverage as well, beer in hand and having a good laugh. As very happy with his third place. Uh, but um, uh, we've had a question coming from uh, Barani Prasath. I hope I pronounced that right. Um, Jack Miller seems to struggle always a little bit more on race day when compared to Fridays and Saturdays. Why is that? Might be coincidental in some respects. I mean, we we had quite the weather was quite still today. The track was warmer today than it had been, and he had a lot of tire drop off as well. He started to manage it in the middle. I mean, I I was interested to hear what he had to say about that. It was it caught him by surprise, you know, that the, the the amount of drop off that he had mid race, and that he had to sort of back out of it a little bit. Um, I think what we've got now, Pete, and you tell me what the riders are, are saying to you, but I. Because we're qualifying for qualifying, free practice now, 
you are, and, and particularly in MotoGP, not so much maybe in Moto2 and Moto3, well, not at all in Moto2 and Moto3 really compared with MotoGP. But in MotoGP, you are, the second you cock your leg over the bike on Friday morning, you are qualifying to be in the best qualifying session. So if you're, if free practice one is the best window of opportunity to put the fastest lap in for your three free practices that count towards which which uh, qualifying session you're um, sent to, you've got to be in the top 10. So you're using up time to go fast rather than using up time to get a good race bike. So quite often you're chucking a tire at it and you haven't done the mileage on the, on the bike. I mean, we, we saw that with again, Rail Fernandez versus Remy Gardner, Remy Gardner and Sam Lodes had done the work on the hard Dunlop and knew that was the tire that they had to use for the race. Rail Fernandez used the soft rear tire or the softer rear tire rear tire. And it wasn't the one. That's what cost him the race at the end of the day. And it's because he wasn't able to put the mileage in that he needed to assess whether that tyre was going to hang in there for the full 23 laps. You know, in MotoGP, it's a 25-lap race. It wasn't, but it, it should have been um, a 25-lap race. And the point being is that, that a lot of riders early on in teams, if they don't hit the mark straight away, if they've not got that base set up as soon as they get out on track in FP1, then straight away you're on the back foot. And if you don't go straight through to qualifying two, it's only two places from qualifying one that elevate you into the possibility of the front four rows of the grid. If you finish, you know, if, you, if you're starting from the fifth row of the grid, your race is damn near over from the, from the lights out. So you've got to qualify for qualifying. You, you'll hear the term said quite often, but understanding what that means to a team and what they've got to go through to get that done and get their schedule of testing done so they know they've got the right race set up. Really, really tight timelines, really tight time. I know we've got FP4, which doesn't count towards that, free practice four. I have a half an hour session basically then to run what is a race setup, full tank, race tyres, but they've only got half an hour in that as well. So if they're a bit behind on what they've done in the three free practices and they're still trying to get a bit of pace out of the bike, mate, you're up against the cosh there. I mean, it doesn't matter how much of a factory team you work for or how many personnel you've got. You know, trying to get around all those jobs in those timeframes, really, really difficult for MotoGP, really tough nowadays. And, and Keith, just hearing you explain all that and previously you talking about Casey Stoner, could you just imagine, I mean, this, this somebody who could just jump on a bike and instantly go fast. How much this this whole closeness and this whole format that you've been explaining, I mean, it would have just suited him down to the ground, wouldn't it? Because he could have just popped in the fast lap almost instantly, whatever the setup, whatever the conditions, and then gone and worked on the set on the on the race pace and everything else, couldn't he? Um, <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen a rider who could just instantly know the condition of a track, the bike, and just adapt to it. And I think this weekend he was he spoke to that he had a press conference, didn't he? And it was very interesting hearing him say that the one thing he felt that was maybe different or special about him was that he would never, he wouldn't try to change the bike to him. He would always try to adapt to the bike. And that was always what it was about for him. How, you know, what is the strength of this bike and how do I get it from this bike? And not, not well, you, you guys have got to make the bike do what I want. Um, pride, I think he called it. He said, you can't have too much pride. You've got to be ready to change to suit the bike. And uh, yeah, it would have been great to see him under this new format of pressure all the time for fast laps because he could always just pull a fast lap out of nowhere. But the Ducatis, yeah, Jack Miller, I mean, I think Jack Miller at the start of the weekend, he he brought up that very thing. He said, you know, I've been fast, you know, but it just hasn't all come together in the race. And I don't think he really knew why. Obviously, there's been different reasons. There was the front tyre choice in, in Mizano, wasn't there, that sunk both both Jack and uh, and Pecco. So that was that. But yeah, amazing. I mean, Miller's been off the podium since I think it was Catalonia. It's about nine races ago that he, he hadn't been on the podium. Amazingly long drought, given that he has been fast. He's been up there near the top, but it hasn't all come together. Well, for Pecco on the other side of the garage, he's just been like clockwork in a lot of these races recently. So yeah, that's what Jack needs to solve, isn't it? He needs to get rid of that inconsistency. We've heard him complain about some of the tyres and problems there. Is it the tyres? Is it something else? You know, who knows? But he's going to have to iron all of this out if he wants to be fighting for the title next year, which is what Ducati will expect of him. There's always something, isn't there? I mean, look at Suzuki. First time that Mia's got himself on the on front row this year. Yes, yeah. You know, there's always something that you've, you've got to find. There's always something you've got to do. I mean, Mia, you know, rode a brilliant race on the, Duke, on the Suzuki. I, I, I'm looking forward to Suzuki next year. I mean, I... Out of all the teams, we don't really, they're still, they've been a bit late in their development of that whole shot device. There's some great, you know, 
Rins was carrying a shoulder camera at the week weekend. It was absolutely outstanding. You could see them operating the. You could see him operating the bloody sit down device, the, the the you know shapeshifter device for the. You know, just brilliant stuff. I mean, and we've got all that to look forward to next year. I mean, we could do a bloody three hour program just on the stuff that's coming for next year. Really, um, <laughs> I can't wait to see what's going on. But back to Casey Stoner. Casey Stoner is the biggest loss to MotoGP that I can remember. Him. Can you imagine what it would have been like for him against Marquez, for him against, you know, some of the guys of, of today? I mean, Stoner would have been just a bit special. And the fact he can sit there in a press conference on his own and effectively criticise riders for not riding around problems. I just love that. You know, and that's a little bit of old school meets now. And I think that, that Stoner would have been your man still. He would have still been there giving it to him. Um, but for, a, for an illness that obviously has troubled him even in the years since he left MotoGP. Um, and, uh, you know, fantastic rider. The, the, the biggest loss to MotoGP for me um, as a rider and as a, as a man. I love his honesty. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't suit a lot of people. People call it whinging, you know. One thing's for sure, though. It, the championships may have been decided in MotoGP and Moto3. It's all looking incredibly exciting for next year, uh, as we've been saying since the start of this season, really. Uh, but let's uh, touch on Moto2 as well. I know we've already uh, skirted around the subject, uh, but that championship does go down to the final. Uh, the gap is now 23 points. So Remy Gardner only needs three points in Valencia to be crowned Moto2 title. Um, and it seemed like uh, we've, t- we've talked t- talk about tyres, you know, it, people hate talking about tyres sometimes, but it did seem it was very crucial uh, this weekend in particular. It just seemed like perhaps Ralph Fernandez made the wrong call with that tyre t- choice, do you think? Yeah, he did. And I think he knows that. That's why he looked pretty mardy in um, part Fermi at the end of it when he spoke to Simon Crafar. I think mm. that, yeah, he, he did know that. And I think that they just didn't expect it to be... I mean, he was fast. I mean, you see the way he was able to run into some of the corners, you know. But I think crucially where it cost him dearly was that double right running onto the front straight. You know, every time Remy had got like yards on him, he was able to put the, apply the power and, and, you know, it pushed forwards, which is what you want from a tyre, obviously late race. Yeah, it was a mistake. But one that, given the, the, the slight time constraint that he had, um, meant that he didn't go through a full race distance the 23 lap four i think he only had 11 or 12 laps on a on a the softer option tire whereas sam lowes and uh, remy gardner had prepped just that little bit they had the opportunity should i say um to to do full race distance you know sam knew that, that, that there was no other tire for him other than the hard and and obviously you know remy remy was a concurred with that but if you look through the the tire list there was a fair few people that are running soft softer rears um it's probably something like 60 40 in in favor of um of the of the soft tire i think um looking at the list but of the soft tire i think um looking at the list but at the end of the day the championship contender had got it yeah. bang on dead right and that's he's only got to score three points if fernandez wins <laughs> So, you know, Fernandez has got to push his luck around Valencia to win. And it is a track where, believe me, luck does come into it there. It can happen. And it's a one-line racetrack as well, pretty much. It's very, very hard to pass there. So it's a, I, I'm, I, it sounds like I hate Valencia. Valencia is a wonderful city and it's a great race meeting. But the track is not the one I'd want to finish the season on. It's, you know. I'm quite looking forward to when we go back to Japan, Sepang and Australia mm. and some of the classics that we um, we need to be back at again. But to finish in Valencia, I've always thought is a real damp squib at the end of the year. Oh, what is a damp squib, squib anyway? Yeah. <laughs> Apart from I was Valencia. going to ask you for your insider's guide, but I think you've just given us a rather damning report of, uh, <laughs> of Valencia. It's going to ru- I've just checked the weather. It's going to rain as well. So it really will be damp. So it's not going to be... Do you know, I, I, I genuinely thought I'm going to ring up my mate Julian Ryder because to see Valentino Rossi is his last race meeting is, a, is an important mm. thing in your life history, if you like. And, to, and, and and I thought I'll ring Julian up and see if he fancies a trip. And then I thought about it. Do I want to be in, I don't mind being in Valencia. It's just the track I don't really fancy being at. It's a, it's a cold cavern of concrete. Um, 
It really is. I mean, you can see you can see everything from everywhere. You know, it doesn't matter where you sit, but you're sitting in, on cold concrete. Or it's the it's the biggest track you can get in the smallest area. I mean, whoever designed it did a brilliant job. Um, but it's just not the racetrack for a MotoGP bike, I don't think, especially the, the final round of it at the end of the season. Valencia as a city is brilliant. Uh, links into the track are brilliant. You know, it's a really easy track to get into and get out of. Um, highly recommend it as a as a as a destination. And if it was sort of mid season when it was a bit warmer, um, yeah, I can understand that. But to have it that racetrack as the final round when it can bring in bad luck, you know, in the weather and and, and the like. Nah. Well, we're all really looking. One, but there you go. <laughs> Someone must be paying loads <laughs> of money. Because they were all really say. looking forward to it now. Thanks, Keith. Um, <laughs> let's, uh, well, we've well, still got a world championship right. to be won, Harry. Let's just, well, we've, Gardner and Fernandez aside, Pete, Sam Lowe's was back on the podium. Cameron Bovia was looking quite feisty as well. So, you know, that's looking good for him next season as well. But good to see Lowe's back on the podium. Aaron Connett in uh, fourth. Um, commentary seemed to think he had a jump start, but nothing investigated there. So uh, it seems he's just got an absolute blinder. Well, uh, let's remember, if Lowe's had had one more lap, it probably would have passed Fernandez mm. and the title would have been over. I mean, it, it, it was getting close at the end there, wasn't it? And now, as Keith explained, Remy's got to go through this whole tense weekend in Valencia <laughs> with cold, damp weather. You know, it's, it's, I think he'd be glad to see the chequered flag. When he, I mean, I'm sure he'll be hoping the best thing from Remy's point of view will be if, if Sam, who seems to be on great form again now, can just run away at the front because, as Keith said, if Fernandez doesn't win the race, then the title is decided. So maybe if, if Sam or Bezeki or someone like that does, you know, escape, Remy will be able to, to enjoy the race a bit more than perhaps he might otherwise because it'll just be counting down laps, won't it, I would think. And yes. he's beaten up as well, Remy. You've got to remember that. You know, he's, he's taken a fair old clattering and... He's got over this weekend's race, but you tend to do that when you've had fresh injury. You know, you kind of, you've, you've, you've got yourself, but by the time tomorrow morning comes and he's as stiff as an old, you know, leather chair, he's going to feel pretty bloody sore tomorrow. And he ain't got long before he's got to be back on. And when you're in a cold country and it's wet, you know, and all your bones creak, I know he's young and he's not like me where I think I'm at 90 degrees until I've brushed my teeth twice. <laughs> I don't even say it right. <laughs> But it's it's old injuries and injuries that he's carrying now into that final round. He's going to feel that. He's going to have to dig in deep to to get this job done. But you're right, Pete, a hundred percent right. He just loves Sam Lowe to be in the best form of his life this coming weekend, and everyone else. And the thing is, with with an end of season type thing, we've been here before. I've said this before. I mean, you, you always you always get to the final final rounds, and you like Quattararo, for instance. He's got the job done now. You would think Portimao, yeah, he's got to be bang on for winning that race. He's got no constraints. He can do what he likes if he chucks out the right. And blow me if he doesn't get a, a non-finish. And blow me if he doesn't get a, a non-finish. So when you get to, to, to the final round in Valencia, you tend to find that there are people that... You get this mix-up that, that comes the final round, particularly with the weather being uh, tricky like you think it's going to be, Harry. Um, so I think that poor old Rail Fernandez is he's just going to have to throw every bit of caution at the wind. And I think that throwing every bit of caution at the wind probably should have been done in Portimao. If he'd been, if he if he had a little, I, I mean, I'm, you can't really tell whether he just started to roll out of it a little bit. Just tried. He was close enough with two or three laps to go to stay with. Remy Gardner and try and spoil his end of end of uh, race laps, um, but he didn't. Um, he took the discretionary route. It looked like. Thing is, again, he's such a great rider. You couldn't see how much he was struggling with the tire. You can't with the great riders. They can feel it, and they know where the edge of it is and where where disaster is about to come from. And so I, I feel that Fernandez was probably in a bit more trouble than we're giving him credit for with that softer rear tire. So he wasn't prepared to push it any harder. And the problem is as well, when you've got a tyre that's dropped off, it's not just about grip forcing you forwards. It's about grip on the overrun as well. You can you can have a, an off-throttle high side pretty quickly in some of those hairpins if you're not real careful. Um, and I think that was something that Jack Miller was talking about. I mean, he went back, he, he wound his engine braking right back. When he started to lose grip at the rear end, you know, you got too much engine braking and all of a sudden the thing's backing itself in, you know, violently. 
Um, so you have to back off. It's like taking taking your foot off the brake rather than using it. Don't know, Valencia. <laughs> well, either way, both of the uh, KTM riders will be making their step up to MotoGP next season. And Ben has asked, comparing both KTM riders, Keith, uh, who would you say will suit the GP bikes more? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not really into speculation. Um, <laughs> I, I have to say that it, it's bad enough when you know the, what they're doing. Yeah, you, know, you can get it so bloody wrong when you when you think you know what you're talking about. Let alone when you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. And I think that with that kind of speculation, you can't tell. I, I use the Quattararo analogy, if you like. Then I mean, he'd won one race officially, two races unofficially in Moto Two. Didn't look to me like he was the you know, going to be the man for, for running a MotoGP bike. And look what happened when he got on it. He got on it and he really felt the affinity, that that closeness with the bike. He, he and it were, were immediately friends. And you might find that again. Ralph Fernandez has got a real talent. Has he got more talent than Remy Gardner? He's got a real talent. Has he got more talent than Remy Gardner? Wayne, good old dad, who I've known for years and has always banged the drum about how Remy Wayne, good old dad, well, I've known for years and has always banged the drum about how Remy is really good on the bigger and faster bikes. You know, the stuff back in the day. Um, so. Fernandez looks to me like the real deal. Remy Gardner might step up to MotoGP and surprise us all. He might be the next Quattararo. You just don't know. Um, Remy for me is, has ridden better has come better than i thought he was going to and i think i don't think i was alone in that i mean that's not to be disrespectful to, to remy but he kind of thrown himself at the scenery a few times he kind of tried very hard on motorbikes that weren't really quite the real deal um but of course as soon as he stepped into that io camp it's looked good and i think with with the way that it's heading, I think Remy, Remy, they're both going to be real weapons. I think again, I think it's a it's a it's a superb deal for both of them and and for the team they're riding for. I think we, we're going to have a 2022. I mean, like a friend of mine asked me seven years ago when I first started getting back into MotoGP, you know, can it can it can it really be better again next year? Can it get better than next year? Every year it has got markedly better, not just a little bit better. You know, every class, MotoGP particularly, has just got better and better. We were talking about qualifying for qualifying earlier on. You could predict who the two were that were going to go through qualifying one straight into qualifying two every time. You know, you could just say, yeah, it's going to be so-and-so and so-and-so. No problem at all. Because everyone under that wasn't on a motorcycle or wasn't up to the speed that, that the two guys that you knew were going to go through. Now, it's pretty much anyone in qualifying one can make their way through to qualifying two. It's that tight. Um and it's going to get tighter next year. I think KTM are going to. I think KTM have, have got to step up. They've 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 got to make a step. They've lost their since they lost concessions. They've kind of not gone that next next step. And next year they're going to have to. And I think that will be the question mark for for Remy and Raul is how well they adapt to the KTM, which at the moment is not the easiest bike. You know, it's not not like the Yamaha, is it? Let's say, you know, Quattararo and Binder and, and those kind of guys. And I think Michael Akona was explaining this weekend, because of course he's 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 going out to MotoGP. He's only 21. He's only a bit bit older than, than Ralph Fernandez. He's younger than Remy. And he's he's already done two years and, and he's out. So, um, you know, he's explaining that the KTM is not, it's, a, it's not an easy bike to ride and you do need time to, to sort of understand it. Um, and yeah, you know, he's, he's run out of time. He's coming good now, you know, Petrucci, his teammate, was saying that, in his opinion, since August, Lacona's been the best KTM rider. I mean, that was quite a statement. But, um, you know, taking into account things like he, he doesn't have, it seems, they don't have the same package at Tectoire they do at the factory team and things like that. But it just goes to show that, it, you know, the KTM is not an easy bike. And that will be a big thing as far as who is the best out of Remy and Raul, how well they can adapt to the KTM. But well, how lucky a KTM, how lucky a KTM, Harry, to have two riders of that stature pushing each other to the nth degree. I mean, that's the key to a team. Brilliant. It, it is. Everyone's spoken about, you know, is it an unfair that, you know, Laquona has been sacked off. So, you know, it, so it, it, when he's so young, but when you look at 
the, we've talked about it time and time again, the sheer amount of talent that there is coming up through the ranks. There's there's going to be sort of sacrificial lambs almost. <laughs> it feels like that kind of sort of scenario here. But um, if, well, if their fight in Moto2 is anything to go by, it's going to be uh, a very tasty one to watch uh, next season of MotoGP as well. Uh, right, we are running out of time, but there is enough time um, because we've already looked ahead to uh, how depressing Valencia is going to be, Keith. Um, so... <laughs> Who are your predictions? Because I can tell you the title fight is going down to the final race because you two are both tied with eight points coming into the final race. We don't need to worry about me, uh, but I think it was unfair <laughs> that uh, Marquez, uh, we should have we should have redone them in, in light of the Marquez news. Um, but give us your top three. Actually, you know what? I'm going to go first. Um, <laughs> I, I, I haven't been first in a while. So I'm going, I'm actually going for a carbon copy of this weekend. I'm going Banyaya, Mir, and uh, Miller, that's my top three, and I'm locking that in. Who wants to go next? Who's ready? <laughs> Silent. Okay, well, go on, Pete. I was going to say, Pete. I'm going to go for Mia to, to win his first race Ooh, of the season. Okay. Yeah, I'll, go, I'll go with that. Oh, <laughs> you know what? I was going there as well. <laughs> <laughs> he got the win there last year, didn't he? And he's, you know, he's he's arriving on form again now. So you know, he's on a bit of a high there. I think Banyaya. I think I'll go for second because he just seems to be fast everywhere. And I think because of the weather, I'm going to say Miller because I think if the weather's a bit dodgy, Miller will be will be up there. So he's my safe bet in case uh, in case the weather should uh, take a turn. Okay. Come on then, Keith. Are you going to gonna stick well, with me or is I, your I mean, it's no good going with the same person. Otherwise, we're going <laughs> to bloody end up bloody on the same points at the end yeah, of the Yeah, you two have got to year. have drastic, uh, drastically different uh, <laughs> predictions. I, 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 I'd rather lose than equal. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to go Miller. Okay. Miller. I'm going to go Miller, Bang, Naya, Mia. Okay. No Yamaha in there. No Yamaha. Well, yeah, well. And no, my thinking behind that, the... my thinking behind that is it's a long way down to turn one. And them Ducatis, if they qualify well, are just going to disappear down to there. And there ain't going to be an opportunity for a Yamaha to get by once we get going. Mm. Before we go, Harry, can I can I just give a big up to, to some British journalists over in um, Portimao? Absolutely. Uh, we had a disaster. We're recording this on Sunday evening after the event, of course. And yesterday... Um, in the traffic system outside the, the track, a police motorcyclist, uh, First Sergeant Jao Fernandez, was sadly killed when he hit a taxi who had one of the journalists that um, we know fleetingly from the, the press room, uh, Lucio Lopez, who's been injured, um, is in hospital and hopefully he will recover and be okay. We don't know any details on him at the moment, but Jao Fernandez, the, the police sergeant, was killed in what was a horrendous situation when the motorcycle that that Mr. Fernandez was driving, riding, crashed into the taxi and caught fire immediately. Um, and Lucio was in the car and Simon Patterson, who you will have heard me mention, not perhaps quite as respectfully as I'm about to mention him, that's for sure. Simon Patterson was one of the first on the scene. He saw in his rearview mirror the, the, the car and the bike explode. He, David Goldman and Gareth Harford, who are crashed on net, they, they'd I think they're contributors to Crash.net still photography, but Golden Goose, you'll know, as the, the photography team, they were on site there as well straight away. And and also there was, uh, I'm just thinking, there was Jack Fearman, that was it, from Bike um, Magazine was there as well. They were the, the four Brits basically managed to get Lucio out of the car. So I, I just wanted to say a, a big up to those those guys. You know, Simon Patterson ended up having to go to hospital through smoke inhalation and the like. So, Simon, we're really proud of you. It's not often that we can talk about bravery in the press office, but uh, on this occasion, brilliant job. Sad that that um, the uh, policeman was killed, but of course, um, thanks to you guys. I mean, we're really, really thankful that um, you had the balls, I think is what I'm saying. There are men that run in and men that run out, and I'm glad that um, Simon Patterson and his crew were the ones that ran in and, uh, and did the good thing. So um, we're really proud of you, Simon. Absolutely. And all our thoughts uh, are out there with you guys and everybody who was involved with that as well. Um, that does just about bring us uh, towards the end, but uh, we'll be back in a few days time for Valencia. Uh, but before I, I 
go, I just wanted to uh, say that uh, I discovered something on Twitter the other day. Um, and it was to do with, uh, I think, a world superbike race that was held in Mexico many, <laughs> many years ago at a bit of a dodgy Mexican circuit. Don't go there. <laughs> and I'm not going to go into too much detail, um, but I had to take a screenshot because I watched the coverage of it, which was hosted by our very own Mr. Keith Hewitt. And I'm going to show it to the camera there. Look at that. The blonde <laughs> locks on that. We'll get a better image uh, if you're watching locks. this. It's, it's the jacket and the tie. It's also, it? <laughs> it's the out. Yeah, why don't you dress that smartly for these? I really think we should have a strict dress code on here. Thank you very much. I look but, like I fell out a washing machine. <laughs> it was i had to i watched the entire 10 minutes it was in it was just so incredible to watch and uh, you, should have, you should have put julian Ryder up as well did you see that julian Ryder I, yeah. and chris herring chris herring was on that show as well the man who was patronus and uh and uh, carl fogarty the honda britain bloody PR yeah and part of the circuit of wales promotion back in the in those um, <laughs> ill-fated days so it was excellent but you know what i'm gonna do if you're listening to us do go and check us out on youtube because i'm going to get our editors no. to to edit in the, the <laughs> no. video over no. this as we're talking so uh you it will be one to watch absolutely but for now my thanks as ever uh to keith Ewan, pete mcclown and you our dear listener we shall return with you uh this time next week uh, for more MotoGP chat to end the season. Uh, and you can keep up to date in the meantime with all the very latest, as usual, on Crash.net. Any questions, send them in all the usual ways. Leave them in the comments section. Tweet, Instagram, Facebook. Just search Crash MotoGP. And please do leave us a review. Lots of reviews coming in on Apple Podcasts after my call out last week. So keep them coming in. Really nice to see you enjoying the show. Uh, and we shall see you uh, right back here next week from all of us. Bye-bye. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.